So we're continuing our series tonight on Wednesday night on prophecy, looking at the return of Christ and what that means for us. And tonight we're going to be starting in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, but it's the second letter, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to look at a couple verses there, and then we're going to transition into Revelation tonight, where we'll then spend the next couple of weeks, both next week and the week after that, before we wrap things up and move on to our next series. Tonight we're going to be looking at three things, a vindicating, a vanquishing, and a victory. And it was very interesting to me when Nicole started talking about, not that it surprised me, but that she started to talk about victory because that's where we're going to end tonight. But we want to begin by looking at a vindicating. And I want you to, first of all, start with me actually up in the first verse, the first couple of verses of 2 Thessalonians. Because before we get to the actual verse that we're going to start with tonight, I want you to see that Paul writes this letter to these folks in Thessalonica, and he's writing to them so that they may endure in light of the Lord's return, because they're going through it. In fact, you see this actually in verse 4. He says, as a result, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you are enduring. They're going through it. And yet Paul says, but I want to I encourage you with the truth of the coming of the Lord. But before he even gets to that, in the first couple of verses, notice Paul wants to remind them and remind us of two things, our status and our supply. Notice in verse 1, he says, from Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, notice, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That little word in is a powerful word. You see, you and I as Christians always have a physical location, but we also as Christians always have a spiritual location a location that we need to always be mindful of because we are always in God when we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And as I even said Sunday, that means there's nothing that touches us that doesn't first pass through the hands of God. We are in God, you see. We're not only in Gilbert, but we are in God. And we're always in God. And notice, he says, you're not only in God, but I want to remind you of something. First of all, he says, don't ever forget, he's your father. He's your wonderful father. You have a heavenly father who loves you, and you are in him. And then he says, you're also in your savior, the one who died for you, the one that we just sang about and that we just praised and worshiped because we're also in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are, we are in God and we cannot as Christians be removed from God. And so our status of who we are and in a sense where we are should always provide for us a stability, a security, a settledness in our life. That's why I started out by saying, behold your God. God wants us to understand not only who he is, but then 
who we are in him. And that should hearten all of us because when we understand who God really is and we know we're in him, how much more settled could we be to know we are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you're always going to be. As we're going to see at the end of the message tonight from Romans chapter 8, nothing can ever separate us from God. But then notice in verse 2, he not only talks about our status, but our supply. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Supernatural enablement and empowerment and peace and whatever we need, it can come from the Lord. My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. He will withhold no good thing from his loyal followers, the book of Psalms says. No good thing. God doesn't hold out on us. God is our constant supply and source. And so Paul starts out this great letter by reminding the Thessalonians and us of our status and supply. Why? Because they're going through it. Persecutions and afflictions. But then I want you to go down to verse 5. This is evidence of God's righteous judgment to make you worthy of the kingdom of God. God is preparing his people to live in his presence eternally, for which in fact you are suffering. And now here's the verse we're going to be looking at and verse 7. For it is right, it is just. And Paul is in a sense reminding us God is a just God, okay? For it is right for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. You see, part of the aspect of the coming of the Lord, and we're going to see this in a minute, how this personally and very practically affects us, is that there's a vindication coming for all of God's followers. A vindicating. Things aren't always going to be the way that they are on earth. In fact, there's coming this great reversal. Even Jesus talks about it when he says, you know what, one day the first will be last. And the last will be first. A great reversal is coming. So here Paul is saying to these Christians who are being persecuted and afflicted and going through it and being crushed under the pressure of, of following Christ in the in the world and culture that they were in. Paul said, hang in there. God is your supply. He is your source. And you are in him, and nothing that you go through can separate you from that. And oh, by the way, keep reminding yourself every day with the hope that one day God is going to vindicate your faith in him. And he's going to repay those who have afflicted you because you were a Christian. Notice, he says, and to you who are being afflicted, being troubled, distressed, pressed hard upon, he's going to give you rest. Together with us, all the saints, relief from persecution, relief from affliction, relief from everything that you and I will go through on earth, there's coming an eternal rest and relief from all those earthly troubles. When is this going to happen? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. When Jesus is seen for who he really is. 
when he comes again. That's when, not before. So that's why Paul says, you've got to live with these truths and, and with this faith in mind that you are in God the Father and in your Savior Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from that no matter what you go through. And that he will give you everything that you need to get through whatever you go through, whatever challenges, trials, tribulations you go through. He will give you his grace. He will give you his peace. He will give us everything that we need. As Peter said, he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. But I want to go back to this idea of vindication. How does that play into our everyday lives? Well, keep your finger there because we're going to come back to 2 Thessalonians in just a minute, but turn over to the book of Romans or back to the book of Romans in the New Testament to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And I want you to look at verse 19, 20, and 21. Paul says here to the Romans, to Christians now, do not avenge yourselves, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Same word that Paul uses there. God is one day going to repay those who have afflicted his people on this earth, says the Lord. Verse 20, then, rather, it's not up to us now to seek vengeance. It's not up to us to take matters or the law into our own hands. Rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How does the coming of the Lord and the truth that Paul puts forth in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7 about a vindication coming, how does that have real practical application for you and I, our everyday lives? Because when people hurt us, when they do wrong to us and all of that, we have to live by the faith that we know one day, because God is a just God, God doesn't let anybody get away with anything, that it's not up to us to fight those battles that we want to fight that we give place to God's wrath and that we know that God will take care of it all one day. It's not up to us to take care of it now. It's not up to us to settle the accounts of our life now. It's up to God and God will do it much better than we will. He will do it perfectly. He will do it righteously. But one day he will do it, my friends. Give place to God's wrath. You see, if we truly believe 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7, then we could practice Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21. But the only way we can practice Romans 12, 19 through 21 is if we believe 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. That one day God's going to vindicate us and God's going to set the record straight. And if God needs to mete out some kind of judgment against someone for what they have done to us or his church or his people or whatever, God will take care of it. And you and I don't have to take on that responsibility because it's not ours to take on. Our responsibility before God is exactly what Paul says. Pray for your enemy. Love our enemies. Show them that there is something within us 
that is so supernatural that it could only come from God. Be a witness to them even when they're doing wrong to us, even when they're causing us pain, we by the grace of God can turn that around and show them that that there's a higher way to live rather than eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, you see. And so really this is why prophecy does have very much an impact on the way you and I live our everyday lives and even the way we treat people. Because if we believe a vindication is coming for us one day, then we can give place to God's wrath and let God take care of it. That's why God tells us as Christians, as his people, to forgive those who've done wrong to us. Because the forgiveness even isn't as much about them as it is about us so that we don't get eaten up inside by a lack of forgiveness and then we get, we get bitter and, and we seek to, to seek vengeance and that, that's no way to live. That destroys our spirit and it cuts off our fellowship with God. So God says, trust me in this. Nobody's gonna get away with anything, otherwise I would not be a just God. If we truly believe, and and we know God takes sin seriously, right? Because of, of how his own son had to die on a cross to satisfy a holy God. That's how serious God takes sin. God doesn't just, you know, let things go. But God says, you've got to trust me. Now's not the time to settle all this but I will settle it one day. Do you believe me? Then back to 2 Thessalonians. Another few verses that deal with the coming of the Lord is over in chapter 2, verse 7. And this deals with a vanquishing, a vanquishing of one the Bible calls in other places the Antichrist, okay? It says in verse 7, Paul says, for the hidden power of lawlessness is already at work. By the way, it is. You see that permeating our society today just as it did 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote these words. There is a, a hidden power that's already getting everything in place for the end of time and for the Antichrist to come on the world scene. However, the one who holds him back will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then, notice, the lawless one. Why is he called the lawless one? Because the Antichrist, like many even today, have no regard for proper authority or law. They are a law unto themselves. And you see this today, and this is where even as Christians we have to be careful. It's why Paul tells us as Christians to to be law-abiding citizens. And to follow the law because we live in a society today where people just break the law and it's no big deal. It's like the law's for everybody else, but it's not for me. And that that mindset has permeated society to the point where that's exactly the way the Antichrist is going to be. He doesn't care about the law. To him, he's above the law, you see. No regard for proper authority, including God himself. And he says, but when the lawless one will be revealed or unveiled or uncovered, whom the Lord, notice, 
will destroy by the breath of his mouth. In other words, there's really no, like, battle here or struggle. The Lord Jesus is so glorious that the Bible teaches us here that the greatest tool or instrument Satan ever created on earth was the Antichrist. In fact, the Bible teaches that the Antichrist, in a sense, will be filled by Satan unlike any other human being since the beginning of history. And yet, in spite of the Antichrist being sort of Satan's masterpiece, compared to the real Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus will bring him to an end and brush him aside, notice, literally with just a breath. Doesn't even have to say anything. Doesn't even have to speak anything. He just lets some air go up his nostrils and out of his nostrils, and there goes the Antichrist. He's swept aside. That's the power of Jesus Christ. That's how glorious he is. And notice it says, and he will wipe out. I love this. In the original, it means he will shut him up and shut him down completely by the manifestation of his arrival. When Jesus comes back, in all his glory, when he comes back, the one true king, the, the king of kings and lord of lords, when he comes back, just his presence alone, just his appearance alone is going to shut the Antichrist and his worldwide empire down. That's how amazing Jesus is. That's why I said at the very beginning, this is a behold your God night where we are reminded and we sang about it and we're looking at it tonight in his word. This is who God is. And that's why I wanted to start out even in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, to remind us, and guess what? We're in God. We're in this glorious God. And we're being supplied and sourced by him every moment of our lives. Oh, my Can you imagine? I'll say it this way. I think so often, I'm just going to use myself. I think I will look back at my life many times and go, I was living at this level when I could have been living here. If I'd have just remembered who my God is and who I am in him. But I got caught up in this stuff, rather than living where I could have lived. And it's all encouraged by the return of Christ. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament refers to the coming of the Lord. God wants to remind his people, Jesus is coming. And when he comes this next time, oh my, it's going to be way different than it was when he came as that little baby in Bethlehem. He's on a different mission this time. So we have a vindicating in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. We have a vanquishing in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, and 8. 
Now I want to take you to Revelation chapter 1. And I want you to see a victory. By the way, in the book of Revelation, over and over again, the Lord Jesus is referred to as the one who's coming. God wants to plant that truth in the minds and hearts of his people. The Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. So that we live not just knowing that maybe we're going to see Jesus very soon, but that Things are going to change one day drastically and dramatically on this earth and we're going to be glad we accepted Christ as our Savior and that we're on the Lord's side. In fact, notice in chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 4, he says, From John to the seven churches that are in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from he who is... And who was, in other words, the eternal God, the one who's always been and always will be, and who is still to come. Literally, the one coming or the coming one. That's who this letter's from. I'm coming, Jesus says. And then look at verse 7. Look, John writes. It's the word behold. That's why I wanted, I got the idea to sort of say, let's behold our God, because this word look or behold is a word designed to grab our attention and maintain our focus as God's people. God is saying, look and keep looking, which is what the writer of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We've talked about it before, that great story of Peter walking on the water as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, but when he got his eyes off Jesus, he began to sing. Keep beholding and looking and never take your eyes off Jesus. Become so captivated. And this is where worship, worship from the heart is so important in the life of a Christian or follower of Jesus Christ because it's about being so captivated by our God that we never want to take our eyes off of him. Behold your God. He is returning with the cloud. Again, clouds always around speaking of the, the manifestation, invisible manifestation of God's glory, and they have a lot to do with his glorious return to earth. And notice, every eye will see him. Now, I don't want to get too technical here, but I want to point this out especially for those of you that like to maybe go a little bit deeper, especially into the biblical languages. We have something very rare here in verse 7. It is called in the Greek a futuristic present tense because you'll notice in verse 7 it says he is returning, but then it also says every eye will see. It is called a futuristic present because it speaks about its imminent, it could happen at any time, but it also is teaching us this, that literally Christ is on his way. He is in the process of coming back. And that's very interesting, isn't it? He is returning. Why does God remind us of that? So that we don't think that somehow God is not involved in what's going on right now. 
You see, even what's going on right now on the earth isn't something out of God's control. That God literally is preparing the earth even now and is in the process of getting everything ready for the perfect time for Jesus Christ to come back. So unlike it's just like, well, God's just up there just sort of letting everything go, and then all of a sudden just going to go, oh my goodness, things are so bad, I'm going back now and straighten everything out. No, no, no. He's in the process. And even now there's a plan and purpose and will of God taking place on the earth. And that God is getting everything ready exactly where it needs to be according to his perfect eternal purpose that he designed before the foundation of the world and that Jesus Christ will come back at exactly that predetermined time. He's in the process. He's on his way. And then the Bible says, Unlike the first time, when most people missed his first coming, this time every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes on the earth will mourn because of him. First of all, who are we talking about here? Well, remember, we're talking about Jesus who died. He literally died and was buried for three days. And yet, there was a victory. And, and the same Jesus that overcome death and hell and the grave and all of that is returning in power and great glory. You see, verse 7 is reminding us of the victory that Jesus Christ has over everything. How can he return in such glorious fashion? Because nothing that Satan or the demonic world or this world or anybody on the world, the Roman Empire and Pontius Pilate and, and the Jewish nation of unbelievers and, and, and the religious authorities in Israel who hated Jesus and all of that, none of that could stop the Lord. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? The lion. No one can stop. And so I want to remind us again that when we even think about the one who's returning in every eye, even those who pierced him, it's like, yeah, I won. Jesus wins. If you want a two-word description that summarizes the book of Revelation, Jesus wins. And that means that every one of us who have faith in Jesus, that means we win too. Why are all the peoples of the earth mourning? Literally, it means beating their chest and grieving and in pain because the pride and haughtiness of men is going to be one day brought low. And this great reversal of values and everything is going to happen. You see. Those that are sitting on top the world now one day, just like the Antichrist, will be brushed aside. And Jesus' humble followers 
those just like you, that most of the people in the world didn't have a clue who you were. You weren't famous. You didn't have any great prestige or power or position as far as the world was concerned. You're going to rule and reign with Christ one day for all of eternity. A victory. A victory. And all those who say, I don't need God, I don't want God, God's going to bring down the pride and haughtiness of men. And those who have humbled themselves before God, he's going to raise up and exalt and elevate forever and ever. And notice, he ends verse 7 by saying, this will certainly come to pass. It, you, John couldn't use any stronger language. It means most assuredly. Literally, it means this is God's yes. God says yes to this. And whatever God says yes to, everyone else in the universe could say no to. It's still going to happen because God said it. And that's why he ends verse 7 with amen. So let it be. Come, Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A vindicating, a vanquishing of literally the Antichrist, but really of all at the Battle of Armageddon, and a victory. A victory of the one who was thrown into a tomb, who had a crown of thorns placed upon his head, who had nails driven into his hands and his feet, who was scourged by the Romans to where his, his back was laid bare. All of that spit upon, mocked, scorned. And yet he's coming back again in power and great glory because he was victorious. Now I want you to keep that in mind as we turn to the book of Romans and close our time out together tonight because this is where I want to end tonight. And I hope that this will be as encouraging to you as it has been to me. So notice in this very famous passage in Romans chapter 8, I want to begin in verse 35. Paul says, who then or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Now remember, we're in God the Father, we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can ever pull us away from our God. So then Paul begins to to talk about some really pretty intense things. He says, okay, let me, let me give you some examples. Will trouble, the word literally means severe hardship. You going through severe hardship right now? Guess what? You're not separated from God or his love for you. How about distress? You know what that word means? Acute discomfort. You're going through some acute discomfort right now? Paul says, you still aren't separated from the love of God. You're going through persecution, extreme and relentless personal attacks by others. Paul says, that doesn't separate you from the love of God. How about famine or nakedness, literally being destitute of basic necessities of life? Does that mean God doesn't love us or that we've been somehow separated from God's love? No. How about danger? Literally, it means perils all around us at all times, and that's true. I mean, when you think about it, you know, again, I don't want to get into this too much, but, you know, everyone's 
focused on the, the, the virus, but literally as human beings, we live with perils all around us all the time. Every day. There's so much that could touch our lives. And this word also can even speak of natural disasters as well. And then he finally says, or sword, excruciating death. Paul's basically saying, does any of these things that we would ever go through, and again, Paul lists some pretty intense things. He says, does that ever separate us from God or his love for us? As it is written, for your sake we encountered death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, Paul says, and don't miss this next in. It's just as important as the one in 2 Thessalonians 1.1. He doesn't say avoiding all these things. He doesn't say going around all these things. He says, no, in the midst of all these things, we still have complete victory through him who loved us. Oh, don't miss that, my friends. That's the victory that we share through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the victory that he gives to us as his people, that it doesn't matter what life or what hell or what the devil or what the world or what our circumstances throw at us. It doesn't matter. We are to be more than conquerors through him. And by the way, these words speak about overwhelmingly conquering. Super overcomers who mightily prevail. This was a word that was used in Paul's day in athletic contest to speak of a rout. Not a contest that was close, like a nail biter, like one team just eked it out by a small margin. No, this was a term that was used to describe the routing of an enemy on a battlefield or the routing of an opponent in an athletic contest. Paul is saying, do you realize, those of us in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that because of the glory of our Lord and the, and the victory that we share with him, that we are to be those that literally rout anything and everything that comes into our lives that's opposed to God. That's the level. Instead of living in defeat, Paul says, in the midst of all this, Paul says, consider yourself overwhelmingly conquering and prevailing because that's the victory that Jesus Christ wants to give to each of us. It's not just a victory where we just hold on for dear life and we endure to the end and we just wait for Jesus Christ to come back. No, Jesus says, I want you to begin to have that victory in me and through me right now because I love you every second that you are alive and my powerful, life-transforming love is flowing from the throne of God into your life every day in a very powerful way. And if you just keep your eyes on me and behold me and look at me in all all my glory and you receive the great love that I have for you nothing will ever defeat you nothing in the midst of it all you will overwhelmingly just sort of shake it off and move on and that's why the study of prophecy 
and the reminder of the glory of the Lord and the glory of his coming back really does have a lot of practical application for our everyday life. So tonight, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you especially, out of all the verses, and obviously you can look at them all, whatever, I want you to go out of here tonight really focusing on verse 37 of Romans 8. No, in, in the midst of all the things that Paul mentioned in verse 35, and they're bad, my friends, they're bad. Paul says, in the midst of all that, we can have complete victory through him who always loves us. Let's pray. God, thank you for the promise and for the hope of, of one day, Lord, our faith being vindicated, that though in this world, just like it was with you, we may be mocked and scorned and made fun of and, and, and laughed at and, and people might, you know, just disregard us and turn their backs on us and think we're crazy for loving Jesus and following him and giving you our lives, God, that one day, one day, God, we're gonna be so glad we did. Help us to just shake off the way the world thinks about us. Help us, Lord, not to be a people that seek more honor from men than we do from you, God. Thank you also, Lord, for the hope of your vanquishing not only the Antichrist, but Lord, every enemy that will ever come against you is defeated. And it's in that vanquishing, Lord, that, that we come to understand that every enemy that, Lord, will ever come up against, Lord, can be defeated as well because we're in you and you love us always. And, Lord, thank you for reminding us that the one that was put in that grave, left for dead, rose again three days later. And Lord, you are the victorious, glorious Lord of eternity. And you're coming back one day in all of your splendor, all of your majesty, to where your very appearance is literally going to change the world. And Lord, we live in you every day. So Lord, no matter what we're going through right now, Lord, even in the midst of it, even in the middle of it, God, help us to remember that we can overwhelmingly conquer through you and your love for us. God, a body cannot drown as long as the head is above the water. And you're our head. And you're always above the water. So may we stay connected to you so that we don't let things drown us or defeat us or discourage us or get us down. Help us, Lord, to always stay connected to you because, Lord, nothing will ever defeat you. May we live as victors, God. And may we live in your love. And may we behold your glory every day. Take us from this place, Lord, Knowing, Lord, what we have now and what we have one day to look forward to. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. More about heaven and revelation, so hope you'll come back.
Thank you.